Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Vanessa McGrady, a woman of many talents, of a great sense of adventure, a woman sharing a special love story in her memoir, Rock Needs River, a memoir about a very open adoption. It's great to share this story, the book, during Valentine's Week, and it naturally has a message well beyond it. Let's get right to it and meet Vanessa. Vanessa McGrady, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And for your talent as such an incredible author, writer, journalist, all of that comes together, uh, this talent in this wonderful memoir, Rock Needs River, a memoir about a very open adoption. And it seems uh, really appropriate, well, it's, it's important information at any time of year, but uh, it, it's such a love story, so it's really great right around Valentine's Day to have this opportunity to open up the pages and have a little chat with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely about a lot of different kinds of love, that's for sure. It, it does run the gamut, doesn't it? But perhaps would you, well, we can't even say what's the best, but really the very strongest story of love, I think, is with you and your baby. Well, now she's not a baby so much. She's a, a young girl. Yeah, she's seven now. But it does follow the story of um, of me before she came and then what happened after she came. And so, but her, the love of her is, is really quite core because um, she, your, your young daughter, we can say her name, right? She's in the book. She's Grace. So she was a, a long time, many years of dreaming and hoping for a child of your own. She was. And, you know, I had, I kept thinking when I was younger that, oh, in two years, I'll have a child. In two years, I'll have a child. And then suddenly I found myself in my late 30s and thinking, wow, I better do this pretty soon. And then it was really kind of a full court press to become a mom. And um, there were some, some failed attempts. And then I realized that adoption was, was what I wanted to do. Um, and I just knew that little baby spirit was out there somewhere and she would find me and she did. And it, it, that's true. The baby, that tiny spirit, uh, like a little sprint in a way, that uh, she sounds like that when you describe some of the activities with her. She does have this very independent and magical kind of spirited aspect of herself. She really is. She's so funny and bright and magical, and um, she's just really a charming lovely child. I mean, don't get me wrong. She has her moments like every kid, but, um, but yeah, she is, she's a lovely child. I'm not just saying that cause I'm her mom, but <laughs> <laughs> point well taken. But even if she has those moments, the way that, uh, you present her to us in the context of rock needs river really makes her seem like this just lovely and intelligent and a wonderful child that really has gifts that this world needs now and into the future. I think so. She's so, she's just such a generous kid. Last night she uh, brought a box to me. I was taking a bath and she brought this box into the bathroom and she said, look what I have. And she opened it and it was all the stuff that she'd collected for foster kids, including $10 in dollar bills and um, crayons and little toys. And I just, you know, I'm always reminded just what a 
generous, beautiful soul she is. And that kind of thing is so heartening, how she has this very large heart in that way, all this love and compassion for those that she obviously realizes are not as fortunate as she is. She really does. And I, I think it is, you know, that that's something that develops over time. And I think it, it is continuing to develop with her. So part of it may be the a greater part of the story in terms of the adoption as to who her biological parents are. And and that's an important part of it, that this was an open adoption. So she's very aware of her parents and they, you know, kind of are there in and out of her life. So there's no secret about that. But she also has, um, because of them, because of their circumstances, perhaps has become a more compassionate child. You know, I, I can't say, um, I, you know, I would hope that that's, you know, something, you know, both innate and learned with her, but she is aware of her birth parents, um, situation and that they have been, um, homeless on and off since we've known them. And not just the fact that they're homeless, which is just such a harsh story in so many of our cities, not the least of which here in, in the Puget Sound area is very much the case. But in in your case, you actually invited them to live with you for a period of time. Yes, I did. So when, when Grace, I had recently become a single mother, um, and when Grace was about two uh, they became homeless. It was a very, believe it or not, in Los Angeles, we do have a monsoon season, um, and we're having it right now. But um, they, it, it was very rainy and cold, and they were living in, on, in a tent on the street. And so um, I asked if they wanted to stay, and then a couple nights turned into longer. Um, but it was just very, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure if anybody would, would know somebody who's homeless and let them go out on the street if you especially if someone who has given you your greatest gift which is you know my child and perhaps that too was a, a difference in terms of n- having some history with them knowing who they were it wouldn't be us randomly meeting someone and saying come stay with me because one never knows right it, it wasn't that kind of situation so we had known um, Bill and Bridget, and we had been in touch with them and had visits with them up until that point. And and so it it felt natural. So you were modeling really for for Grace at that time how to be compassionate and and what you do for people that you know and care about. You know that was something that my father did as well. I think um, so. He, you know, he would always invite people to come stay, or he would always have, you know, dinner for somebody who needed it. And I, I just feel like that's that's just what you do for people. And so there it was. I mean, you've had a long history of this. Uh, his uh, Irishness, perhaps, or, or maybe it's not <laughs> relegated <laughs> to a particular culture that. Uh, but in a way, it kind of is, isn't it? Well, I do. You know, the Irish people that I know are very warm, loving, um, fun people. So so perhaps that's, you know, part of that. I don't know. And it's interesting. But you're right. I know I, I, the people that I do know are very warm-hearted and, and big-hearted. And I, I feel like a lot of people would do this. I don't, I don't feel special in this way. And so 
it had its time. You, you were together for a while, and then it it needed to end. And it, it, it's just been kind of this up and down course that it seems to, well, maybe kind of the, more of the ebb and flow of the ocean, the way that sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. That's right. Yeah. So when I um, when when they had stayed, um, we did they did do a house sitting job toward the end of that, and then they would come back periodically after that. But there was a day, and this is how the book opens, that there was a day where or an evening where I just couldn't let them in, um, and I, I had drawn a boundary at that time. And they, you know, and I think people were, and, and that was my my fault for being so late in drawing a boundary and being so unclear. They had come to expect that I would just let them in any time, and the day that I didn't, um, I think that caused a problem, and I think that was very uh, hurtful to them. Um, and we have we have gone back and forth over time. Um, and right right now they they've chosen to not be in contact with us. Um, but I don't I don't know if that'll be forever. And it, that would potentially be very difficult for Grace for any child to to kind of have that uncertainty. But do you feel that it, it does that with her? Do you try to protect her uh, from some of that? Um, you know, at the time when I did ask them when I did stop letting them in or, you know, when we stopped that arrangement, I, she was very little still. And she has always been such an independent child. And that, but there was this time during this time, she became really clingy and she wouldn't want to go to sleep without like, clutching me. Um, and I just felt like maybe the comings and goings were, were wearing on her as they were on me, or maybe she was vibing off what I was feeling, which was a little bit of anxiety around that, whether they would show up or not. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that did affect her. Uh, she's not right now. She's not very curious about them. She knows who they are. She knows that, um, that they're mad at me and, and, uh, they're not, um, they're not talking to me right now, but, uh, she also knows that that's not anything that she has done. Um, and she hasn't, she hasn't been that interested yet, but you know, that may, that may change over time. So that sounds like a, such a, a a great foundation to for her to be aware of biological parents. These are people in my life, but she has you this constant that love that is always there, and and you just don't disappear and come in and out of her life. You're just you and and her and her dad, her adoptive dad, is always is there too on that arranged basis so that the, these are constants in her life. Well, I have some very sad news is that um, her father, my ex-husband, has died, and he died in early January. So, um, so that arrangement has changed a little bit, um, a lot actually. Yeah, that, that's changed quite a bit. Well, I am sorry to hear that. It's, I know that you certainly tried your darndest, I guess, really, for him to take better care of himself, and you were so encouraging of him. So um, that is sad. Yeah, it, it's very sad, um, and she she seems to be processing it well for now. But I think for little kids, grief is not a big straight line. Um, so we're just I'm just keeping her close and, and watching her closely. So all of this, Vanessa, your openness uh, throughout the book about 
your life, you know, this, the encounters that you've had and continuing on with Grace and being open with her to the level that she wants to hear and is ready to hear, it just, um, I think, is such a, a great story and a great model for us to, to have that kind of honesty in our lives. You know, it's it's interesting. I That is the way I live my life. Um, and I, you know, we don't lie to each other. We don't have a lot of secrets. Obviously, you know, things are age appropriate for her. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like this is this this book tells a lot of truths that are, might be uncomfortable for people because I do talk I do talk a lot about you know failing and being wrong and um, people bumping up against each other and that's I mean I, I feel like that's sort of how most of us go through our life and um, and and we do have a culture of perfectionism and and um, this is this is a kind of opposite of that and perhaps. Perhaps really, that is more the reality than not, and and gives us all an you know that opportunity to consider that for ourselves, to take off masks or facades that we feel need to be in place. I, you know, I think that that's uh, definitely a gift in that way. You know, I feel like we probably would all be a lot better if um, if the masks were off and the truth was told, but I also feel like there's a lot to process, too. If you're being absolutely critic, you know, radically honest with people, that's the, you know, the people in your life have to be able, be able to accept that as well. Um, it's kind of a two-way street there. And didn't that actually, thinking of an incident, specific incidents of um, when you and um, your former husband then uh, had were on vacation and he wanted to have this honest talk with you, he obviously wasn't prepared to hear your honest response. Right. There's a scene in the book where uh, we're in Maine on vacation and Grace is just about to turn two. It's the day before her second birthday. And I think by that time, the marriage had deteriorated. Um, And, you know, I, I think my part in that for sure was just not having the tools to deal with addiction and the tools, his addiction and the, the tools to stay married. I, you know, I didn't come from a married household. Um, I was raised mostly by my father. Um, and I just, I didn't know how to do it. And so we did have a conversation and he brought up that, you know, we weren't as affectionate and, you know, there had been uh, a gap between us. And I said, you know, you're right. You're right. And I don't, I don't know how to fix it, and I don't know how to get it back, and that's when we decided to get divorced. And that, yeah, in that scene in the in the book, yeah, it just felt that he, rather than saying, "Well, how are we going to navigate this?" the response was just uh, to shake your hand and leave. It just yeah. Seemed, yeah, yeah, you know. And then after that, we talked a little bit about counseling, but I think I think it was just really not. Um, we did, we couldn't figure out how to repair it. Mm-hmm. So it and, was, yeah, it, it had, it had gone from there downhill. And sometimes we come to a place where it's better to just cut your losses and, and move forward and trust, you know, that, that we've learned something. Hopefully we've learned and we can go forward. 
I certainly hope so. And I, I, you know, I also felt like it was early enough in Grace's life that um, I didn't want her to grow up in a household where people weren't loving on each other. And they weren't, you know, we weren't having, um, you know, like, you know, a beautiful fantasy utopian (laughs) marriage, whatever in my mind um, that would have been. So I, I felt like it would be easier for her early on, which, which I feel like it was. She did handle it with great grace. She's lived up to her name over and over again. Uh, Yes, that is such a beautiful name. And, and it has then a beautiful history because Grace was your grandmother as well. That's right. Yep. Grace McGrady was my grandmother. And I, I love the name. It just uh, has so much meaning and it just brings great vision. So, um, that may be another indication of the gifts that she has to bring to our world in the future. And even now, of I, course. Right? Yeah, I yeah. know she will. I, I know that she will she will go on to, to make the world better than she found it, for sure. So all of these stories we want you to know are from this wonderful memoir, Rock Needs River, a memoir about a very open adoption. And so we've been touching on adoption, and... Uh, that wasn't your first thought, Vanessa, of adoption for baby. You were wanting to do it the natural way, and that wasn't working out. So this is an important book, though, about adoption, because um, it, it certainly reveals some really um, important aspects of it that I think need to be recognized. And one of them being that when uh, Grace was born, that in the hospital, they were trying to change the birth mother's mind about giving her child up for adoption. Yeah, that was such a horror show for them. Um, You know, I can see double checking to make sure that, you know, this really is her decision it wasn't something she was coerced into, but they were aggressively trying to change their minds. And they had even threatened to, you know, pull Grace and put her in foster care, um, even though we had already signed papers and um, had the arrangements together. There was there was something about this particular hospital in Los Angeles where they, I guess they didn't feel like that was the right choice for her. And you know, at this point, she was 23, and she, you know, she was a, an adult, and it was her choice, and it was also um, Bill's choice, the birth dad. Um, they they were not ready to parent, and they never, I don't think, entertained a thought of becoming parents um, through the whole pregnancy. So, um, so it was it made an it made an already very difficult situation even worse to have someone trying to talk her out of it. And you had gone through all the the proper channels, the the legal papers were there. So, yeah, th- that seemed like it was really imposing such a harshness and hardship on the uh, on the biological parents and also on you as the adoptive parent. Well, I didn't know this so uh, at the time. So, um, a couple years ago, I went to Texas to interview them. They were staying in some family property in the hill country and and I was writing the book and I I thought well you know maybe we we should actually sit down and talk about what their experience was and I didn't learn this until much later and you know bless their hearts they they didn't want to burden me with that um with what what they because they just figured you know I'm busy being a mom to a newborn so they didn't talk about some of this until much later 
And so these are some of the things that uh, the the parents giving up their child could potentially go through, among other things we might not even consider. Uh, so it's it's important to you know that you're bringing forth this kind of story too to have some compassion about all that goes on in people's lives. Oh yeah, I mean especially you know a marginalized group like birth parents. I mean we probably know many birth parents in our lives, but we don't know who they are because it's not something that people talk about that much. Um, it's a they're generally met with corn and um, people wonder how can you give up a child what kind of monster would give up their own baby that kind of thing so a lot of birth parents don't really talk about it publicly or to people who aren't close with them because there is they are not it's not received well uh, so this is an area where we can learn some <laughs> compassion and and really think about love in this different way as we think about Valentine's and we just think of the, these big hearts and flowers, is to think about the love and compassion we need to have for people who have to make those harsh decisions. And, well, using this story, we see how, you know, that it was really the greatest gift they could give to the world and to grace by letting her have a different life. That's right. It is. I mean, it's it's absolutely a an excruciating act of love to take, and it's not one that you necessarily get anything from. So, you know, in the adoption triad, the you know the the child has a new family. The child has a lot of loss as well. That's a loss for the child to to lose their um, original family, and that should never be overlooked because that that's a, a big part of adoption and, and that does get glossed over. Um, you know, no matter what the situation was they came from there, that is still a loss for a child. Um, and, you know, the adoptive parents obviously get a baby or get a, a child um, in their family, but the, the, um, the birth parents, they are, you know, they're not, they're not left with anything. Um, and I think it's a different kind of loss for them. Um, and it is a different kind of love and a different kind of pain for them that's that's difficult for um, for people to understand unless they've gone through it or know people who have gone through it. And when you were discussing writing this book um, with Bridget and Bill, how did they respond to it? Did Were they supportive or just kind of uh, nonchalant? What was their feeling about it? Well, they've been a little all over the map. Um, they have asked me to write about them in the past, and they have been agreeable to it. So while they were here, I, um, I, I wrote a story for the New York Times. for the At that time, it was called Motherload, but for the parenting section. Um, and, and they were supportive of that. I had done a photo essay of my trip to Texas with them, and they were supportive of that. And then... Um, I did ask about them being in the book, and we've signed a contract, and they are actually getting um, a large percentage of royalties from the sales of Rock Needs River. Um, but right now, they're not—they're not that—they're not, uh, not that happy about it, and I'm—I don't know why. I'm not sure why. Uh, it's just, unclear to me. It's part of their their uh, what history, it seems, and on their nature to maybe have these ups and downs that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it is. Uh, it, it could be. A, it could be a scary thing. And um, yeah, that when we have gone back and forth in the past, and and hopefully, 
uh, you know, they'll be available to Grace if she ever needs or wants them. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's a, an important part of the story is, you know, the, the lens that you bring to uh, homelessness and writing about it really in a compassionate way so that, uh, you know, we might get past some of the judgments that we carry and, and ha- get to see the these human beings, these people with lives and dreams and hopes and, uh, you know, the things that go on in their lives? You know, I, when, when they were with, when they first came to see us, um, I had some very middle-class white girl ideas about what I would do if I were homeless, you know, which is a very privileged stance to take. Um, You know, if I were homeless, I'd want to know how to get a job. And so I brought a friend who worked at Trader Joe's over to, you know, answer questions about, you know, well, this is what you're going to be asked. This is what you should wear. This is, you know, this is what you should say in the interview, that kind of thing. Um, and I, you know, tried to hook them up with resources, but really that wasn't their mindset. Um, and the, the bigger problem is that there's, you know, the whole system is just wrong for homeless people and it's, it's wrong entry points all the way through. Um, you know, if you're staying in a shelter and you have to get out, how are you going to go on a job interview with your whole life in a shopping cart? You can't. Um, so there's just, there's so many programs that are falling through the cracks. Uh, I have a cousin, uh, who has a brother who is homeless and he's a chronic smoker and that gets him kicked out of all of the housing programs because he smokes. Does that mean his life is worth less? And somebody who doesn't smoke, I don't think so. But the just the system just seems to keep failing and failing over and over again. Yes, we just uh, don't really get the whole picture, and, and you know, it seems like we want to put band aids on issues that aren't even there. As you were saying, like with the interviewing process, you know, finding out, uh, having more conversations with people is what is the need here, and and finding solutions that way. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you just have to keep putting homeless people in charge or putting them on <laughs> on the boards and, you know, having, you know, better input. Um, I know that, you know, Bill and Bridget were stuck with a lot of bills and hospital bills. Um, and part of that was because they are on prepaid phones. And if you're paying, um, you're paying a phone plan by the minute, you can't be on hold. You can't be on hold for 35 minutes with the free clinic that's going to fix your tooth or you know, the Medicaid people or, you know, anybody, really. It's just, it's a very difficult um, system to navigate. And there's a lot of places that you could just fall through. And this is our reality in in our country, uh, in some areas more so than others, when they're a little, we're more habitable, I suppose, for more of the year. So, Again, it's so important, uh, these lenses, I feel, that you bring to us, Vanessa, uh, in this wonderful memoir, Rock Needs River. What a period of time were you really working on this book? Um, it's, it's such a blur. <laughs> um, I, I started, well, I guess, you know, I started with this first story while they were still living with us in 2013. Um, and then the next year I had found an agent and decided to do the book and she, you know, she signed me before I had even written anything or written that much. And then it has just been, 
a period of writing and rewriting over the last, say, you know, five years or so. You know, there were some times that I didn't touch it at all. A couple months would go by and I wouldn't touch it. And, um, and then there were times that I was so sick of it and I, <laughs> I couldn't look at it. And then there were, you know, stretches of time where I just thought, all right, well, this is all I'm going to do until noon every single day. And then I'll go back to my regular work. But it was, I honestly, I have no idea how I wrote a book. I just did. But you've, you've always been a writer. So in a way, it's kind of the natural result. Not that everybody who's a writer writes a book, but um, in that vein for yourself, since you have a book, doesn't it feel somewhat natural? It, you know, I come from a family of writers, and I, I have always felt the pressure to have a book. Um, uh, my father wrote a diet book in the, in the 80s, and then his brother, Mike McGrady, wrote a biography of Linda Lovelace. Um, called Ordeal, and they were two brothers, the first two brothers in history to be on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. Wow. They got their picture in People magazine, which I have up on my wall. So I, and then my cousin Sean has he, my cousin Sean wrote um, uh, mystery novels, and so everybody has been a writer in my family. And my cousin Joe Robinson um, is also a writer, and so uh, so I was sort of like the only one who didn't have a book. <laughs> So I did. I did feel like, yeah, I better get better get on it with my book. Well, you have done it. Here we are, quite fresh in print at this time. Rock needs river, a memoir about a very open adoption, an incredible story. Your honesty is um, refreshing. I'm going to say, but it it's just such a, a gift to us. Uh, as we said earlier on, I think it's an opportunity for us to really do our own introspection and consider how tell, being honest and telling truths really serves the greatest purpose in our life. Thank you. That's a lovely way to describe it. Thank you. And uh, before we end, we should mention the d- book, of course, is available through all of our favorite book sources these days now, right? It is. You can get it anywhere. Um, you can go to rockneedsriver.com, and all the information about readings is there as well. Um, and and anything I can answer for people, I'm happy to. Well, that is excellent. I can expect that there would be many burning questions, so we shall see. But for the moment, I thank you so greatly, Vanessa McGrady, for taking time with us this morning and being uh, so generous with that, but also, of course, for sharing this wonderful story with us, Rock Needs River. Thank you so much. And with that, we are at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Vanessa McGrady and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Brian Robinson. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Simply click on the on-air tab, then Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of love, certainly of connection and of peace. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Have a great Valentine's week.